Welcome to Self-Discovery Radio, where the discovery of self is just a show away. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Their Story Matters with me, your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today, Jean Bauer. I came across Jean being interviewed by John Stewart, one of the best, certainly somebody who brings to the attention things going on in the world, but always with a wonderful touch of humor. I was very impressed with what Jean is doing. He has a farm sanctuary. Now, he promotes vegetarianism and veganism, and absolutely an advocate for that animals are our friends, not our food. But he doesn't ram it down your throat. He's not out there on a tirade. He's not out there insisting that everybody who eats meat is evil. He's just asking you to awaken your consciousness, to be aware, to care, and to maybe start changing the way you eat and the way you look at your food, and a little bit more humanely in the way you look at your animals as well. We're going to be talking about that today, the options that we actually do have, and how we can actually embrace this lifestyle and uh, not look upon it as it being so hard. Um, veganism, vegetarianism, I'm neither at this moment, although I don't eat a lot of meat. Um, I would like to get off it altogether, but it's a slow process and I understand that. So it's how do we do it? How do we change that consciousness, that awareness? How do we start introducing a different lifestyle and what can we do for the animals of the world that unfortunately are in our hands and what can we do to help them because it is really about time that we included them in this planet they live here too so welcome to the show Jean hello it's great to be with you and you know the farm sanctuary I mean that is uh, you know a beautiful thing to do um, I once interviewed a couple who um who actually, he was a gynecologist and she was a concert uh, violinist and they opened up a farm and made it a sanctuary for senior animals. And what they learnt from the animals and in doing that was quite life-changing and quite a beautiful uh, story. Animals are incredible creatures. They have such beautiful, trusting, loving vibration, don't they? They do. And, you know, they are, in some sense, I think, a reflection of us. You know, when we live with other animals, we tend to influence them just as they influence us. And too often in the factory farming world or on any farm, really, where animals are being slaughtered and eaten, um, there's a, a, a dissonance and a disconnect between our compassion and the way we act with other animals. And when we come to Farm Sanctuary and the animals are rescued and allowed to live out their lives at Farm Sanctuary, it's a beautiful thing. It's a place of healing and transformation, and and the beauty that exists there is remarkable. And it's 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 a world that is good for animals and also good for people. Yes, most certainly. Um, I love watching you know these videos um, of people rescuing animals. You know, just you know swimming across an ice pond. You know, no shirt on, just to rescue a dog, or jumping from a ship to rescue, you know, an animal. Um, it's you know, we do extraordinary things in facing the elements to rescue these animals because it's a life. It's like a child. It's somebody innocent there. And um, we would hope we would do it for our children. And, we, you know, it's wonderful when we see people doing it for animals as well. It's something, I think, that really touches the soul and the heart when you see that. Absolutely. It, it really speaks to the courage and the compassion and the best in people to, mm -hmm. to go and do something for somebody else, especially if you're doing it out of generosity, just because you care about to help that other creature, whether they be human or non-human. And I think how we treat other animals actually says more about us than it says about the other animals. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we see animals that are supposed to be enemies, you know, never being able to be together, um, you know, loving one another, respecting one another. Um, you, you know, I'm sure that they're aware there's different size or different species, but they don't care. They don't carry that stigma. It's all that beautiful vibrational love, isn't it? Um, they don't carry this burden on their shoulders that human beings do of, you know, trying to compartmentalize everybody and, and uh, place labels on everyone. Right. No, I think putting labels on others and creating division tends to disconnect us and make us less empathetic, less understanding, less humane, and less <clears throat> less human in a sense. 
And unfortunately, that's what happens when we treat other animals or, or even other people badly. We don't want to look at ourselves as being cruel and mean. So we then take further steps, I think, to rationalize how we mistreat others. And we then start uh, justifying it by denigrating the victims. And it's it's just a bad situation for everybody. And, and it doesn't have to be that way. That's the good news. We, we each make choices every day. And we can choose to interact with others in a more compassionate way, in a more mindful way, in a more connected way, and, and one that serves ourselves and others well, too. Uh, yeah, we've got to stop being so disconnected, haven't we? Um, you know, it's uh, everybody's carrying such a burden of their own lives on their shoulders that they re- don't realize that if we actually come together as a community and help one another, th- those burdens would be removed. Um, you know, it's we've become so insular, we've become so isolated, uh, we've become so angry, and uh, I think that's because we've become so t- disconnected. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, everybody is an individual, so each of us has our own characteristics, and, and different species have different characteristics, but because there's difference does not mean that we are disconnected, mm-hmm. and I think that is sort of the beauty of life is, is the diversity and the things we can learn from others. And I think there's a real value in speaking to people, too, who have different opinions. You know, Benjamin Franklin said, if everybody thinks the same way, nobody is thinking. So mm-hmm. it's valuable for there to be different perspectives. But when those differences turn into judgments and denigration and separateness, that's obviously a bad thing. And when instead the differences turn into uh, curiosity and interest and wonderment and growth, then that, I think, is a very positive thing. And when we interact with other animals, you know, we can look at them as similar to us in terms of having feelings, having relationships with other animals and with people, with their depth of cognitive abilities. Uh, so there's similarities there, but they also have different perceptions and different experiences in the world. And, and we can learn and we can benefit by paying attention to and understanding and, and connecting to those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, what we see a great deal of today, and it's, it is horrific, totally horrific, is the end of the dog eating festivals in um, the Asian countries. And of course, you know, I sign every petition I can and get it out as much as I can. And, you know, I know that it's been a way of life for them, but there is absolutely uh, no humanity, no humaneness at all. I mean, you know, they're just live dogs stacked on top of another, skinned alive, chopped up alive, um, boiled alive. I mean, it is absolutely horrific. And, you know, I understand people's anger when they lash out, but... You know, that is a negative vibration going after a negative vibration. What we really need to do is raise these people's consciousness for them to understand what they do is wrong. You know, um, for them to to develop some empathy for the animals. Um, so in order not to afflict pain, it's a hard journey to take in and, and get to awaken people to the pain they conflict, isn't it? It, it really is. And, you know, in different countries, there are different customs and different habits. And sometimes, you know, one country will look at another country. And, you know, for example, you know, we are appalled at the fact that in other countries eat cats and dogs. But in other countries, they have chosen not to eat cows. And they would be appalled to know that mm-hmm. in the U.S., eating cows is the norm. So which animals we consider to be our friends and which ones we consider to be our food are really quite arbitrary distinctions. And, you know, what is happening uh, with the dog meat trade and the abuse of those animals is intolerable and it it should stop. And and, and also what is happening to farm animals in, in various countries around the world where they are confined in factory farms and then they're slaughtered in these horrible slaughterhouses Sometimes they're killed so fast and they move on these slaughterhouse lines so fast that they don't die by being bled to death, which is how they're supposed to die. Sometimes they're literally boiled alive. Sometimes they're cut up um, when they're still alive and conscious. So, you know, those kinds of conditions are appalling and they also need to stop. So, you know, all animals, you know, whether they're cats or dogs or cows or pigs or chickens or turkeys, 
you know, have feelings, and they deserve to be treated with respect and compassion. Now, you know, of course, there is the argument that if we, you know, stop eating meat altogether, then, you know, what is going to happen to, you know, all the uh, farm animals out there that, you know, there's going to be a run on, you know, more animals. But of course, you wouldn't breed as, as many for a start. And, you know, you you are very sensible with your approach in realizing that people aren't going to just stop eating meat, you know, carte blanche, just like that. And, but it's more of a something of... Um, integrating it into you know the weekly thing of maybe having two or three days with no meat and then you know cutting it down and introducing it slowly in there but i think we'll always be a society that will eat meat but it as you said it's the way uh, they um, breed the animals the way they kill the animals um, even what they feed their animals um, that is become so utterly humane and we can't look at any form of life um, as just you know, a manufacturing product en masse without any consideration or value for that life and its contribution of life to us. Yeah, no, I, I think that you know we grow up oftentimes eating animals and assuming that that is normal. And you know, in developed countries, consuming meat, milk, and eggs is done at such an extreme level. We eat so many animal foods, and as a result, we're suffering huge health problems. Things like heart disease and cancer are related to the way we eat. And we could eliminate or, or very much reduce our risks of those diseases by shifting to a whole foods, plant-based diet. There's a film out called Forks Over Knives. And in that film, the experts talk about how we could save something like 70% on health care costs in countries like the U.S. if we shifted to a healthier plant-oriented diet. And so I think eating less meat makes a lot of sense for most people. And whether or not somebody wants to become a vegetarian or a vegan, that's obviously up to each person to make their own choice. But I think it's important to recognize that that is certainly an option that it is possible. Um, but for people who are on a regular basis eating animal foods, there are programs such as Meatless Mondays, where one day a week people try eating meatless and see how that goes. And the benefit of that is, number one, they're eating healthier food because they're eating more plant foods. They also become more familiar with the plant foods that are available and more comfortable. And, and as people become more comfortable eating tofu lasagna or scrambled tofu or, uh, you know, beans and rice or various plant-based foods and recognize how tasty they are and, and how people also generally feel better when they're eating healthier food, then it becomes easier to reduce animal food consumption throughout the rest of the week as well. So it, it starts with steps. So mm -hmm. Each person needs to make their choices every day, uh, but we think it's good to be thoughtful about our choices. And instead of, you know, what often happens when the issue of factory farming comes up, people say, don't tell me, I don't want to know because it's upsetting. I, I think it's better to, to be responsible and to look and to know what we're contributing to and then ultimately to make choices that we can feel good about. Yeah, so, you know, it's again, it's not sending out kind of the hate towards the thing. It's sending out the awareness. You know, we know that if we want to have an effect on the any, any of these, um, you know, meat-growing factories, which is what they've become, is to stop buying their meat. Um, you know, that's how you always affect anything, is when it becomes, to the, you know, the economics affecting their wallet. Um, you know, uh, we can make those changes even as you said one day a week if everybody stops eating meat for one day a week that's already having an impact of course demanding organic if you are going to go that way an, an animal that has been raised properly and humanely and fed properly a lot of the reason why people get the cancers is all the antibiotics and all the the crap that they put in the feed um, for the animals and um, that we're getting my brother had a heart attack last year and um, He's not really good with drugs or anything like this. And he changed his lifestyle and became a vegetarian. And uh, um, even cut out, you know, things like pastas or anything like that. And lost a great deal of weight. And his heart is in an excellent shape right now. Um, and he contributes that to the diet. The diet is huge. Uh, there are many people who have been able to reverse the symptom, the, their heart problems by going to a plant-based diet. Um, there are now programs that are popping up around the around the continent 
where people are starting to eat more plant foods and their health is improving. So it's a really great time. And, and at the same time, we are seeing more farmers markets so people can get access to locally grown, fresh, organic produce. Uh, there are community-supported agriculture programs. We're in the midst of a food movement right now yeah. where eating healthy food is getting easier than ever, and, and that's very positive because you know it's not only good for animals and the environment, it's good for ourselves. Yeah. And I think, you know, like your brother, you know, many people are having that experience, you know, after they've had a heart attack or some other health scare, that by changing how we eat, we can change a, an awful lot about our health. I mean, food puts a lot of stress on our body. Um, and, you know, if we're putting the wrong foods in there, especially, you know, foods that aren't organic, I mean, really right up front, no matter what you eat, it should be organic. Otherwise, it's filled with pesticides and Roundup and, you know, um, Monsanto corn and all of that, which is, again, has been another show. Um, but we need to go the organic because at least we know that things are then grown without all of that. And it's good, wholesome food that is completely enriched with so many of the nutrients that we need. Like a hell of a lot of iron that, you know, we think we need to get from meat, we can get from vegetables. Um, you know, there's, there's vegetables have pretty well everything that we do need. Um, and, you know, a lot Absolutely. of people you think you have to eat a mountain full of it. You don't. It's just combination, isn't it? That's right. It's just eating a, a variety of plant foods, and you'll get everything you need. I've been a vegan since 1985, and I'm 53 years old now. And, you know, I've gotten everything I needed, all the protein, all the nutrients, by eating plants and no animal foods. And in the last few years, I've started running marathons and doing triathlons. I recently did an Ironman triathlon and did all that on a plant-based diet. There are also elite athletes that are performing amazing feats completely on plant foods. One of the strongest men in the world, for example, Patrick Babouillon, who's carried more weight than any human has ever carried, is a vegan. And he you know, was powered completely by plant foods. Recently, Scott Jurek, who's an ultra-marathon runner, just broke an Apple, the, the record on the Appalachian Trail, which is 2,180-something miles. And he did that in 40-some days and broke a record. And he's also a vegan. Mm -hmm. So you, know, you can not only survive, but you can thrive eating plant food. Well, and, I mean, and, you know, and it's, it's, look at the animal kingdom. Look at the bull. Look at the size oh and the muscle goodness. and the strength of that. You know, it, it ain't eating other meat. It's not a carnivore. You know, it it's eating grass. <laughs> you know, it's um, exactly in a natural environment. In a natural eating grass, but on a factory farm, they might be eating. Yeah. you know, other yeah. less savory products. But yes, absolutely. The you know bulls are very strong animals. Elephants are very yeah. strong animals, and they're vegetarian. Yes, exactly. So I mean. When you look back to the beginning of time, you know, meat became something, you know, as, as a survival for, for man. Um, because, you know, it depends on the environment and the elements. They couldn't grow vegetables all year round. Um, and, you know, we understand that that was, you know, time's necessity of your survival. But we're living in a world now where there's so much more option. Um, and there's so much more education. And there's so, ma uh, there's so many different recipes out there that you never could eat the same meal you know, twice in a month. Um, you know, we, we really, really don't have the excuse anymore, do we? Um, you know, as I said, I still eat meat now and again, not much. But, you know, now and again, um, I'm in my 60s, so of course I was brought up with the old meat and potatoes. But I do love, you know, a stir-fry. I do love vegetables coming together and all the flavors that blend together with the spices and, and, and you know, mixing all the sauces and experimenting and turmeric and... Uh, with all the health benefits that you get from all of that. I think if we look at all the countries that eat a great deal of vegetable and look at the spices and the nutrients that they mix together and look at the health of that country, of the longevity of the people, we will actually understand why it's a good diet. Absolutely. You know, and as you say, over the course of our history, we have eaten animal foods, uh, but a lot of that was because we had to to survive. In, in some cases humans have actually eaten other humans to survive. Yes. But, but those are not ideal circumstances. Mm -hmm. And today, we are in a position where we can make choices and we can choose to eat plants instead of animals. And, you know, we also, through using greenhouses and other uh, technologies, are able to grow greens 
throughout most, most or all of the year. I've been in the middle of the upper Midwest in the U.S., which gets very cold in the winter, and I've seen them growing greens in greenhouses in the middle of the winter. So the idea that we can't grow plant foods year-round is sort of an older idea that, um, you know, we are coming around to changing. And, and it's, that's really what it's all about, I think, is evolving, learning, uh, learning from our mistakes, and then trying to do better. And our farming system, the way it's done today, by growing grains to, and harvesting the grains and feeding the grain to animals, is extremely inefficient. We could feed 10 times more people on the same amount of land if we were eating plant foods instead of animal foods. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is a whole other problem that we need to look at is resources and the squandering of scarce resources. And oftentimes what the folks who promote animal agriculture will argue is that there are certain land where you cannot grow grains because it's the hillside or it's rocky or it's not very good farmland. And my response to that is, you know, if we are using our good farmland to grow fruits and vegetables and grains and legumes and beans and, and other things for people, we don't need, you know, we can feed 10 times more people. We don't need to use marginal lands. And at the end of the day, we don't need to occupy every square inch of the earth. We can yes. let some land be wild and, and, and that's okay. Yes, exactly. And, you know, it will serve the wild element, too. Um, you know, the the other thing is, is that by eating seasonally, um, you know, we're eating the foods um, that are going to, you know, nutritionize us each season. You know, I mean, obviously the fall when we start getting all the squashes and the pumpkins and all of those. I mean, the nutrient value, the, the delicious recipes and just, you know, they're absolutely gorgeous and if we pay attention to the foods of each season uh, and eat seasonally and stop trying to eat strawberries in the middle of winter um, you know we will we will actually benefit so much more because we're actually in tune with the season that's right you're in tune with the season the food is fresher mm-hmm. and if it's local it also you know hasn't had time to denigrate or to rot or whatever and so you have fresher healthier food when you eat in season then I'm a big fan of that. And also, it can tend to be more affordable yeah. because in the season you have a lot of a particular food like strawberries, for example, and when you have a lot of supply, the price tends to go down. Yes, exactly. And, you know, there's the old jarring, and, uh, you know, it's just if you want something for the winter, you know, jar it in the summer, and then you've got it in the winter. Um it, it's the good old-fashioned kind of ways of doing things. And, okay, if, if you're living in the city, you know, take a trip out to the countryside, to your local, um, you know, um, farmer's market, which generally every city has one, and you kind of stock up on some, some produce, which, you know, you can either jar, can, freeze, or whatever. Um, there's always something around you that you can reach to, because I know for city folks it's always the excuse, well, you know, they're, they're not around us, but... There's a lot of little farmers markets popping up everywhere, aren't there? There are. There are farmers markets in cities, and and you know, there are farms popping up just outside of cities. There also are urban farms that are being established now. There's rooftop gardens. Mm-hmm. There's a food not lawns movement where people are tearing up uh, their lawns and putting in vegetables. There's container gardening where people are growing tomatoes and peppers and greens and other veggies on their porch in containers. So there's lots and lots of ways that we can obtain fresh, healthy produce in all kinds of environments. And even companies like Google, for example, have these earth boxes where they grow produce at their campuses. So the idea that we can't grow food in cities or in various places isn't, again, one of these old assumptions and these you know disempowering ideas when, in fact, we can do a lot to make this food readily available and quite quite uh, affordable as well. So let's go back to that question of, is that if we stop eating animals altogether, will we be overrun by animals? Oh, gosh. Well, the only reason that we have so many animals, farm animals on the planet today is because humans mass-produce them. In fact, many of the farm animals that are raised for slaughter now 
are artificially inseminated. And, and some of them can't even reproduce naturally anymore. In the, in the case of commercial turkeys, for example, they've been so profoundly altered genetically that they could not reproduce naturally. So they're all now products of artificial insemination. So this idea that if we stop eating animals, that we're going to be overrun by cows and pigs and chickens and turkeys is really kind of a, I think it's kind of a, 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 an outlandish concern, mm-hmm. frankly. Um, the reason we have so many animals is because we mass produce them, usually through artificial insemination. And I think the way things are most likely to play out is that things will change gradually. It's it's unlikely that one day we're going to wake up and the world's going to be vegan. You know? yes. <laughs> so what's likely going to happen is that as people learn more about these issues and think more about these issues, and, and also as our... Uh, planet becomes more and more stressed with growing all the crops that are used to feed farm animals and where resources become more and more scarce, I think people are going to start eating fewer animal foods. And as that happens, the industry will stop mass producing them and will start moving towards more plant-based agriculture. We also see companies today that are being developed uh, to produce meatless meats, basically uh, things that taste like chicken, but they're made out of pea or soy protein or other plant-based proteins. And those products can be produced much more efficiently with much fewer resources, and therefore they will be cheaper than animal-based foods. So I think that's another thing that's going to be happening to replace uh, chicken and and beef and, and other animal foods. So we're, we're in the midst of some changes now, and I think those will happen incrementally, uh, which means that we don't really have to worry about billions of animals all of a sudden yeah. running we're over We're not going to be world. seeing a Planet of the Apes scenario going on. <laughs> no, nothing like it. Nothing like it. And, and also, you know, when, when it comes to the animals that are mass-produced, the vast Peaceful. majority of those, at, at least in North America, are chickens. Mm-hmm. And, and they only live about six weeks because they've been so genetically bred that they grow so fast and so large that their hearts and lungs give out. And sometimes they have heart attacks just a few weeks old. So these are animals that don't live very long anyway, mm-hmm. and they're killed at a very young age. So as the consumers begin to consume fewer of them, scaling back the production w- will will not be difficult. Exactly. And, you know, we, we, you know, there's often a joke about rubber chicken. Um, but, yes, if you buy chicken that has been, you know, steroid uh, bred, you can taste it. And it, it, it is like you're eating some sort of, you know, rubber that you can't even digest. So, you know, in a lot of ways, our meat is no longer meat. Um, it's been so genetically yeah. um, altered. And, you know, as you said, the health... Uh, detriment to that because of all the stuff you know the chemical change that has gone into producing that meat and all the stuff that they shove in there you know we're eating that and so we're becoming that and um, numerous health issues are are coming up left right and center and uh, it's it's because we have gone so mass manufacturing on everything Um, and of course you know when we're also looking at the 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 pesticides and the herbicide you know, that definitely has a huge thing to uh, to come into it. So that's why going, you know, organic is becoming such an enormous movement. Um, you know, our our parents, that's all they knew. There was no organic this and, and alternative that. Everything was that way. You bought from the farmers. You bought from the local markets. Um, then we kind of became mass-producing type people where, you know, chemicals, chemicals, chemicals. And we know it hasn't worked. It's It's a failed direction and the amount of ill health as you said cancer and heart disease and uh, um, disfigurement in many many ways the cellular structure that is changing in the body is enormous so we have to look upon this is that that didn't work the solution is really going back to the old ways but being more adventurous about it yes and, and going back to ways that work and and also learning and learning from mistakes and recognizing that this monocrop uh, petrochemical based food system is not healthy it's it's bad for the earth it's bad for us it's, it squanders scarce resources it's horrible for animals and it's and, and people see that now thankfully and and so a lot of people now who have had careers in the city 
are starting to long for spending time in nature and are going back to farming. Yeah. And so it's a ri- and, and a lot of young people too who, you know, grow up in this world and see so many problems want to be part of the solution. And and so they're going into farming and and they're doing it with a a mentality of respect and of responsibility and of wholesomeness and trying to create a new food system. And and, and this is where, you know, each consumer every day votes with our dollars. And exactly. if we go to a fast food place and, and buy that junk, then we are investing in and subsidizing that system. And and what that does too, besides empowering that system, uh, it also hurts us because we're now eating food that is not good for us. Yeah. And we're developing bad habits. But if instead we spend our dollars at a farmer's market and buy local organic produce, we are voting for that kind of a system and we are enabling it and strengthening it and, and, and building it. And when we eat that food, we're also helping ourselves. And, you know, in some cases, buying organic produce is more expensive. And, and sometimes people say, oh, it's too expensive, it's horrible. But one thing that's very important to recognize is that there are external costs associated with our cheap food system. Yes. And so if we eat cheap hamburgers, for example, we're going to probably have health problems and, you know, we're going to have to pay lots and lots of money in in terms of medication, in terms of surgeries, heart, heart disease surgery, and, and there's also lost productivity. There's suffering that we experience as well as other animals. Then there's the environment that is polluted and despoiled and squandered by this animal-based food system. That's another cost. And and then the, the antibiotics, the vast majority of antibiotics used are now being fed to farm animals yes. to keep them alive and make them grow fast. So we have now antibiotic-resistant bacteria that's causing all kinds of health problems, and the medical system cannot deal with it. These are all costs that we need to recognize that are associated with this cheap hamburger that, that yeah. you know, appears cheap but is actually quite expensive. Uh, you know, um, uh, the steroid-type use that they put in these animals, um, you know, the case of, like, inflammation in the body, which manifests in things like lupus and, and fibromyalgia, uh, which is rampant nowadays, um, you know, that comes from inflammation, and that inflammation, um, it, it, it's all stemming from steroids. And, you know, there's so much yep. steroid shoved in the food is that we're now seeing these health repercussions coming about from what we've, we've been eating. And it's, you know, okay, wake up to the fact. There's another thing, fact as well. When you eat wholesome food, you need less of it because you are being fortified, you are being filled. When you're eating food that has no nutritional value, you are always hungry. So therefore, you are always eating. So it's right. actually cheaper Absolutely. in the long run to eat uh, to eat um, organic because you don't need as much to fortify the body. That's right. That's right. Eating whole organic food is the best. And uh, you are satisfied. You feel full. You have the nutrition you need. You know, whereas by eating processed food uh, that is, you know, devoid of nutrients, yes. you don't feel satisfied and you don't. You know, we, we can be overfed and under and and, yes. and not without adequate nutrition. People and, die and, from and malnutrition, and it doesn't matter what weight they are; they're, bi- they're right. dying from deficiency. Uh, as simple right. as that. Um, and, and the other, sorry, go ahead. I was also going to say, just if if you look at the human body, also, you know, we are biologically best suited to eat primarily plant foods. Mm-hmm. If we were natural carnivores, for example we would have a very short intestinal tract because meat is a putrefying flesh. It has no fiber. It takes a long time to get through our body. It, it could take a couple days to pass through our long intestines. Where, and can you imagine what a piece of putrefying meat looks like after a few days in a 98.6 degree moist environment? It's not pretty. And colon cancer is one of the results of that. Yeah. But plant foods have a lot of fiber and whole foods have a lot of fiber. And if there's one nutrient that folks in developed countries need to eat more of, it is fiber. And if we do that, it's going to select for foods that tend to be whole plant foods, and that is very good for us. Now, my son is opening up a little restaurant. Um, 
and it's also going to be kind of like a, an experimental kitchen where he will develop foods for other restaurants, other sauces and other things. And I, he's going completely organic. And uh, for him, he's made a vow to use uh, within a 10 mile radius, you know, the farmer's um, ingredients um, and, you know, completely go seasonal. So his, his menu will be, you know, what is in season. And, you know, it, it all comes down to learning to experiment with our food. You know, let's let's look at other nationalities. I mean, the, uh, the Indian nationality, there isn't a lot of meat eaten there. Um, it's a great deal of kind of rice and legumes and, and spices and vegetables. And, um, you know, look at other countries. Um, Italy, of course, is, is, is pasta, but again, with a lot of tomatoes. Uh, if we open up our minds and open up our taste buds and, you know, decide to be a little bit more adventurous, we will see that there is an abundance of beautiful foods out there that we can try and we can experiment with. And we, as I said, we never need to eat the same meal twice in a month. You can have so many different recipes. Yes, that's very true. If you, if you look at ethnic foods, you know, Ethiopian food or Indian food or Mexican food, you know, it, it, it generally is very much plant-based yeah. because throughout most of human history, great civilizations have survived primarily on plant foods. And this idea of eating meat is something that's relatively recent, especially in the quantities we're eating it now. And it generally is associated with wealth and power. And ironically, you know, this need ultimately starts clogging our arteries and destroying our hearts and, you know, making it our brains function less well because it's you're cutting off blood circulation to the brain and any body part, it tends not to function as well. So um, getting back to some of those ethnic foods, getting back to more traditional foods that we have survived on for generations makes a lot of sense. And as you say, being experimental, being open-minded, exploring new foods. And, you know, since I went vegan back in 1985, uh, the kinds of foods I've eaten have become much more varied and interesting and diverse. And I think that just that's a great, great advice that you mentioned is just to be exploring and, mm. and being creative. It's, it's, it's art as well as it's science. Yes. Yes, and, you know that's where my 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 son when he cooks, it's um, the plate has to visually feed you as much as the food, and uh, you know when um, here in Vancouver in BC uh, Canada, um, we have got so many you know vegan and vegetarian restaurants that have opened up, and plus we have a very heavy um, ethnic group here, Asian ethnic group, and and you know so a lot of the Asian restaurants that are you know are vegan or vegetarian. I already have a heads up, you know, they're already way ahead of the game because they've been doing this for so long. And, you know, if you just, you could walk down one street and there's several of those restaurants to choose from and just go in and explore, go in and try it. It isn't a question, I don't like that or I don't like the look of that. How do you know what you're going to like until you get out there and test it? And yes, your first taste time, you know, is going to be, well, I don't know, this is different. The brain has to register. It's a different food. So maybe the very first taste you don't like because your body's on alert. Consume a little more of it and your body will go, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. I like this and want more of it. You know, we've, That's we've very put so many, true. We put very so many true. restrictions on ourselves, don't we? You know, we're, we, you know we're, stop being so cowardly, folks. You know, be a little brave. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and your taste buds also change. Yes. You know, if you're used to eating sugar and fat all the time, that is what you consider to be normal and that's what you get used to and that's what you expect. But it's it's not good for us. And when you start eating clean food and healthy food, you then start getting used to that and expecting that and you, you start craving it. And, and it's good for your body to crave what it needs and what nourishes it in a healthy way as opposed to food that is harmful. It's, you know, eating sugar and fat and animal foods is sort of like an addiction it's, and, it's, and it's not good for us. Yeah. But, but eating food that nourish, nourishes us, you know, and, and getting and feeling good about that physically as well as emotionally is very enriching and very positive. I mean, simple things like juicing. I absolutely yeah. love juicing. You know, I love taking, um, you know, a piece of beet and, and, a, and a carrot and, and an apple and some celery and uh, a watermelon and putting it all together and some ginger in there. And oh boy, it's nectar. 
It's absolutely nectar and it does so much good for our body. Even just, you know, one cup of juicing every day, the amount of nutrient that you get from there. You know, things like all greens. If you've, you know, got into the winter and the kind of the green vegetables aren't as, as prevalent, you can get the organic all green powder. And you can add it to sauces, you can have it as a drink, you can add it to your yogurt. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many ways of kind of subsidizing, um, you know, for maybe the seasonal's lack of fresh. Yes, absolutely. And, and turmeric, you know, sometimes putting yes. turmeric in a juice or, or in a blender and, and making smoothies is another thing I really enjoy doing. Or, you know, in the summer, just having fresh fruit, you know, cool piece of fresh fruit on a hot summer day is very refreshing. Yes. Um, we've just done an, an entire show on turmeric and uh, it's, um, you know, just taking the raw root and uh, grounding it and then mixing it in with, with like a coconut paste and you're almost making it like a peanut butter. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and you can make it into a drink or you can add it into things or you can put it on, on bread. You know, there's, um, uh, you know, how healthy it is for you and how important healthy fats are to our body. Um, you know, it's we need the fats, but it's it's not the saturated fats. Um, you know that uh, we need the good old healthy fats, and you can get it from various oils, and you can get it from coconut oil. Um, of course, I'm still a butter person, so I'm not sure I'd ever go completely vegan, probably vegetarian, but I still love my cheese and, <laughs> and my butter. Um, but there's starting to be some good cheeses, believe it or not, that, that that are pretty close. So hopefully, as time goes, but but yeah, like you say, healthy fats. And yeah. And, and again, try to go towards whole foods, like an avocado, for example, is a yes. great source of a healthy fat, or, or nuts yes. are another good source of healthy fats, or seeds, sunflower seeds, for example. Yeah, exactly. Or coconut, you know, so but the, the more whole the food is, generally, uh, the better, as opposed to processed food. Well, I mean, we know that, you know, things like, um, you know, cashews and almonds and millet and berries and apricot seeds it's a, it's the b17 vitamin and uh, you know it's known for going after weak cells and like pacman just eating them up and uh, you know has been a great huge advocate in fighting cancer and preventing it um we don't need to get sick we really don't um if we just watch our foods and of course our stress level our balance you know what we do in our lives simplify your life in many many ways um this whole emphasis on on disease that we have today is hugely to do with our foods uh, in the way we eat them because we don't slow down and eat them in gratitude we just shove it in the faces Um, and also the fact that we just take on too much and don't just chill out i think just being around animals i'm sure being around the farm animals and just kind of coming down to their vibration to that simple beautiful rhythmic vibration would just calm everybody down. Yes, absolutely. We are very much affected by our environment, you know, the physical environment, whether we're in nature or on a crowded freeway in a car, for example, has influence on us. Whether we're in a peaceful environment where animals are allowed to enjoy themselves and we're allowed to appreciate them versus, for example, being in a factory farm where you have animals clanking against the bars of their cages to get out yeah. or a slaughterhouse where they're screaming in misery, you know, so those environments influence us. And being at farm sanctuary is something that is very calming and very energizing and very positive and very welcoming and, and transformative for many people. And it's obviously transformative for animals who had only known cruelty before coming to us. You know, the cruelty of the factory farming system, the cruelty of being seen only as commodities, as units of production, or as a source of meat. And once they come to Farm Sanctuary, they're our friends, not our food. Uh, they get to enjoy their lives. We, we take care of them like most people take care of their cats and dogs, uh, so they're allowed to live out their lives. And, and we appreciate them, and we enjoy their company, and we develop positive relationships. And that's the thing that happens in that environment is you get to relate to these animals as individuals. And some of them are more outgoing and more friendly. Some are more shy or reserved. Uh, and, and, and that's fine. They're individuals. Each of them has their own personality and, and way of being in the world. Exactly. Now, you've got several sanctuaries around the country, around the U.S. That's right. We have one sanctuary in Watsonville, New York, in the Finger Lakes region. We have two in California, one in the northern part of the state, one around Los Angeles, 
And these are sanctuaries for animals. And also there are places where people can come visit, get to know the animals, connect with them, learn their stories, and also learn uh, more about our food system Mm -hmm. and what each of us as consumers can do to start taking steps towards changing our food system and making it more healthful, more ecologically sustainable and regenerative and and better for the planet and, and the animals and everybody that we share the planet with. I mean, if you just take, you know, things like um, just simply vibration, which we talk about a great deal on the on the station because everything is vibrational. Um, and when you're in good vibrations, things flow beautifully. They're invitational. They're, they're commutative. Um, you know, they're inviting. Um, when you've got somebody in stress and in a negative vibration, it's, it's, it, it's quite essentially the, you know, the nails on the chalkboard, and it shatters all that vibration. So if you've created a sanctuary where there is harmony and everybody's in that good vibration, you know, that flow of energy is going from one to the other, you're sending out such a resonance of peace and tranquility and invitation that it cannot help but be in you know inviting of calmness and connection and respect and value it's beautiful farm sanctuary is an amazing place and what happens there is magical and and it spreads compassion can be contagious and and it does spread and it's uh, it's a wonderful thing to see now you have a walk uh, for farm animals where it's bringing the awareness that you do. That's right. We have a, a walk for farm animals, and people who are interested could go to the website, which is walkforfarmanimals.org. And these are people that come together in various communities and they get out and walk and raise awareness and help raise funds also for farm sanctuaries work. And of course, you, you're in state legi- uh, legislation and uh, federal legislation regulation. You're out, you know, taking on the whole world there, you know, the meat research center, the poultry slaughter, the antibiotics, the horse slaughter. So you're not just creating a sanctuary, you're you're still the voice and the advocate for the change. That's right. We are working to create systemic change. We are working to pass laws to prevent animals from suffering so badly and also to prevent this industry from all the abuses that it's responsible for. Uh, and then we're also just working to educate consumers because that is where ultimately the big change yeah. is going to happen as consumers vote with their dollars and vote for a more healthful, sustainable food system. And of course, uh, tell Costco to say no to battery cages. So tell us a bit that's about that. Right. That's, that's right. That's we, right. We push companies to be more responsible and not to sell products of the most egregious cruelty such as eggs that come out of these battery cages, which are small wire enclosures where egg-laying hens are packed so tightly they can't even stretch their wings. And so we've also passed a couple of state laws to to outlaw those battery cages, but we still have a long way to go. And and unfortunately, the alternatives, such as cage-free systems, also tend not to be that great. You still have animals crowded in, in large warehouses, you still have egg-laying hens, for example, who have their beaks cut off or parts of their beaks cut off, even in those cage-free systems. So they're not as bad as the battery cage system, but they're still a long way from being humane. Um, you know, the, another thing I think we have to interject here is that we in North America especially are such a wasteful society, and we've got to stop wasting food. Um, that goes for, you know, all the restaurants that throw food away at the end of the day or places like McDonald's and order is done wrong. They just throw it away. They don't even give it to the homeless because they're scared the homeless are going to sue them because the lawyers have got involved. Um, we are such a wasteful society. If we stopped wasting so much food, there wouldn't be so much necessarily death to provide that food to you in the first place. That is very true. We, we waste so much and, and that is a huge problem. I completely agree. So that's about being responsible yeah. and, you know, producing when when the food is produced, that it be consumed instead of just thrown away and wasted. Yeah, you know, go and buy every couple of days or every day if you can, as opposed to going once a month and then, you know, storing it and, uh, oh, you know, that's gone off now because I didn't get to it. You know, be uh, make shopping for food something that is a family affair and that everybody, you know, or you go and pick the apples, you go and pick the bananas and, you know, make it something like when you cook together, make it a team effort, make it something that you all do together. Because I think the gratitude of the food and how the food is prepared and, and that 
interaction of preparing it and the buying of it, um, I think really teaches our children and each other that camaraderie, that you know, uh, that respect of the food and the value and the gratitude in having food in the first place. That is very true, and and we learn from those around us. And mm. preparing food together, cooking together, we learn about it, and it also builds bonds between yes. family members, and and there's a community aspect to it. You know, for for ages, humans have grabbed, gathered around the the food around the dinner table. You know, we break bread, and there's how we connect and commune with each other. Yeah. And and that's another thing that I think has been lost in this factory farming mass food, cheap food system. And, and, and I think we need to regain that. Exactly. You know, so it, it's really wake up and be mindful, folks. You know, it isn't about, oh, they're doing that. It's got nothing to do with me. What are you eating? And what can you change? How can you change your shopping habits? How can you change your whole perspective and open-minded? No, we're not saying go and jump and be a vegan because I know that, you know, I'm not going to become a vegan. Okay, try just becoming a vegetarian. Try, you know, eating less meat, being more mindful, um, uh, even on what you eat, eating the organic, giving it a try, eating less, eating more fruitful stuff. Allow your body to change over, allow your mind to change over. Just simply allow the changes. Yes, exactly. Now, careers, you've got career opportunities in this as well. Yeah, the, the food movement is growing. The animal protection movement is growing. There are vegan restaurants popping up all over the, all over the world. There are uh, farms popping up. There's community-supported agriculture programs, farmers markets. There are people that are into edible plantings and, and, and edible landscapes. So there are construction types of jobs available in those areas. So, yeah, there's an awful lot that can be done in this area. And you've got internships as well and volunteering? Yes, we have internships at Farm Sanctuary. And for people who are interested, they can just go to our website, which is farmsanctuary.org. And everything is there. And what I love here, you've got the giving as well. So, you know, people can donate if their lives are busy and they just want to donate and support. That's great. But you've also got become a member, monthly giving, so like a subscription, planned giving legacy society, which is nice. Adopt a farm animal program, which I think is a really cool idea. Um, and then the, the leadership giving, friends and um, Hilda Club, and even more opportunities there. You want to just capitulate a little bit on that? Yeah, well, again, people can go to the website, which is farmsanctuary.org, for information about donating or getting involved with our work. Um, we have a monthly sponsorship program where people actually sponsor an animal who lives at Farm Sanctuary, and they get pictures of the animal they're helping us take care of and updates. Uh, we also do events at the farms, and people are welcome to come spend time with others who are like-minded and, and share their interest in living in a more humane, sustainable world and and supporting a more sustainable food system. So, yeah, we have events at the farms, we have giving programs, and we just encourage people to, to get involved at whatever level they can. And I think when people do, you know, when they do decide to actually come in and kind of meet the animals, they realize actually, you know, because a lot of people think, oh, they're just dumb farm animals. If you come in and get to, to know them, you realize they have enormous characteristics and, you know, and carry the, their own intuitive intelligence. That's right. They're not that different than cats and dogs. We have turkeys, for example, at our farm that will follow you around like a puppy dog. And when you sit down, they will sit on your lap because <laughs> they enjoy our company and they have had very positive experiences now with people and, and they enjoy being with us. And, you know, we have sheep who love to be petted. And so after you've petted them for a while and you're ready to walk away, they start pawing at you like a dog would paw at you, saying, please keep petting me. So these are animals that have personalities, they communicate with each other, they communicate with us, they have likes and dislikes, they have memories, and they want to enjoy their lives just like we do. Mm -hmm. And when people visit Farm Sanctuary and get to interact with these animals, that's very obvious. And, and oftentimes people then start rethinking the idea that we should eat some, eat, eat some animals and pet other animals. You know, what, what's the difference? If, if we can live well, without causing unnecessary harm, why wouldn't we? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's kind of respect, isn't it? You know, we, you, we don't want, you know, um, another species to come down here and start looking upon us as food. 
Um, so, you know, why don't we extend that? Just because we deem these animals not to be of the same intelligence, um, you know, many other ways uh, their intelligence is so much more profound and intuitive and caring and understanding than us human beings are capable of. Um, we can learn a great deal from them if we just uh, stu uh, stu you know, stepped outside of our ignorance and perhaps arrogance. Absolutely. We, we can learn an awful lot more by listening and paying attention than by speaking <laughs> and <laughs> judging. And, and, and I think humans too often uh, speak and judge and assert and can tend to be arrogant. You know, whereas stepping back and listening and paying attention and, and going with the flow and being part of this earth instead of dictating to this earth, um, I think that that shift is massive and, and it needs to happen. And I think it's starting to happen in, in, in bits and pieces. Yes, it's waking people's consciousness up, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, time to care, folks. You know, time to care for something outside of yourself. You know, um, you will be so much more fulfilled. Um, in your own purpose in life, if you start caring for others, you know, find something to care about. Now, how do you go about rescuing the animals? Well, over the years, we have done investigations and we have literally found living animals thrown in trash cans or oh. living animals thrown on piles of dead animals. So we rescued them. In fact, that's how our sanctuaries began. Today, increasingly, what is happening is people who work in the farming industry are contacting us and asking us if we'll help individual animals. So that's a very positive development, I mm -hmm. think. People that work in these businesses are recognizing that there are problems. They're also recognizing that individual animals matter, and they want to help them. So we're now starting to hear from farmers and veterinarians, or even from neighbors who, who see a problem at a farm next door, and they'll contact us. And, and, and sometimes even from SPCAs or law enforcement agencies, who need homes for rescued farm animals. So we hear from a lot of different places now. So uh, give the species of animals that you take in. We take in farm animals. So it's basically cows, pigs, chickens, turkeys, sheep, goats, ducks, and geese. And, and we have a couple of burros and a couple of horses too. But we focus primarily on the animals that people eat because mm. we think those are the ones that need the most help. Right, exactly. I remember Paul McCartney once making a statement, you know, because he had this uh, huge farm with sheep on it when they lived in the country, and he said that one day he was looking out his window and saw all the sheep running around, and and there on the table was the leg of lamb, and, you know, that was his, his moment, that was it, and uh, became a vegetarian right there and then. Um, and, you know, I think that's the thing is when we realize they're, they're living beings, um, you know, they're, they're lifeblood and conscience, um, and that we really don't need to go around kind of slaughtering animals today. It's the same with the, with the dolphin and the whale hunts. Um, you know, we're not a hundred years ago where the blubber, you know, kept you going and was, was part of your survival. There is no excuse anymore. There isn't any excuse. Um, we have so many other resources to live on that we have to really look at our, our, our archaic ideas and realize that it's time for change and that there's room on this planet for everybody, for all living creatures. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. Well, you know, I thank you so much for, for spending the time. As I said, when I saw you and John Stewart, I thought, I've got to have this guy on and, you know, bless you for, for coming on so quickly. Um, you know, this kind of awareness is something that people need to understand. You know, it's not bashing any industry. It's just bringing awareness. It's opening up people's consciousness. It's letting them know that there are alternatives and that even just, you know, making a choice just to slightly change, slightly shift, to, to be adventurous, to take the journey and see where it takes them. Um, it's just, you know, changing your thoughts, right? And, and taking an action because it all counts. Absolutely. Every step counts and little steps start leading to more steps that over time can lead to big positive changes. Exactly. And I'm sure for you, I mean, you're, you know, uh, being a vegan for so long, seeing all these restaurants and seeing all, you know, these different styles coming up now and people embracing it is very, very gratifying. Um, because I know, you know, for vegan friends I have, it's like, oh gosh, there was nowhere to go and eat, <laughs> you know, in, in going out. And now that's changing and there's just so many coming up now because people are realizing, yes, it's delicious food and hey, it's healthy. So let's go and eat healthy tonight. 
Exactly. It's never been a better time to be vegan or to try and explore vegan food. Right. So, vegan or vegetarian, just, you know, make the choice, make the conscious choice to to cut down your meat, to cut it out if you can, um, to be more mindful, and most certainly, you know, to stand up for those poor animals out there that don't have a voice and that are just being treated as mass product. Um, you know, that has to come to a stop. The inhumane, the cruelty, it has to come to a stop. And the only way we're going to make it stop, folks, is by our interaction our action, our voice. So don't turn your head. Don't look away. There's something you can do about it. Please just step up. Step up and make those changes. Thank you so much, Jane, for being on the show with me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And that's farmsanctuary.org, folks. Everything is up there. Um, Jean actually has a book as well, which we didn't get to. So, you know, please do look at his book. Um, it's uh, Living on the Farm, a Sanctuary Life. So he ex- shares in there his whole story and everything that he's done. And, uh, of course, he's he's um, been interviewed in the Times and um, Time magazine and most certainly a lot more out there more books as well so you know if you want more information just go to the site and um, you will see a lot more there it just take the step folks take the step you just never know where it can take you and you just may find it wasn't that hard in the first place so thank you Jean, and thank you listeners Um, it's all up to you folks it's your choice bye for now